Let's move on to resistance and compliance, but the 201 version, the more complicated version. Here we go. All right. So as a little refresher to get everybody back on the same page, the last time we talked about balls and straws, we talked about how it's intuitive to everybody out there that it'll be easier to blow up a beach ball with a boba straw than a basketball with a coffee straw, right? Intuitive to everybody. Now, the balls represent our compliance. And we are going to start referring to this as the balls are representing our static compliance. We're going to talk about what that means and how to measure it on the vent in a minute. Now, when we're thinking about static compliance, we have some structures or some lungs like our beach ball that have good compliance. Then we have structures like our basketball that have poor compliance. What that means is that for a given tidal volume, same tidal volume, you stick it into one thing with good, one thing with bad, for the same tidal volume, your good compliance structure will have a lower pressure than your bad compliance structure. Um, it's also important to just think the fact through that, you know, compliance Bad compliant lungs, lungs with poor compliance, are very elastic. You know, we think about elastic as stretchy and it's a little confusing, but we're going to talk about some things that require understanding of elastins later. So lungs that have poor compliance, their compliance is poor, their elastins is high. What does that mean? Well, it means that they're super stiff. So it takes a lot of pressure to blow them up because they're super stiff. Then they snap back right? If you have a floppy beach ball, it doesn't snap back, right? It's not super elastic. If you have a structure that's super tight, it took a lot of pressure to blow it up, it's going to snap back really fast. Um, that also has actually become an issue that's come up with APRV and COVID patients for me. Um, we'll talk about that later. I'm going to do a little blurb um, in a different lecture about COVID ventilation. Um, so the cool thing about compliance is also you can get a quantitative measure of it. You can go to the vent and you can actually be like, vent, tell me what number their static compliance is. And as long as the patient's not fighting the vent and usually it helps if they're paralyzed um, right after intubation, it'll tell you their static compliance. Um, I was talking to a resident about this the other day and it occurred to me that I should probably mention what the numbers mean. Um, so this is how I sort of do it. Um, I just give it a report card. Um, I'm not comparing the static compliance of people who are running a marathon. This is like within the ICU, within patients who are intubated. Here are the numbers and their report card letter grade. So if your static compliance is greater than 50, A plus, good job, you're fantastic. If your static compliance is in the 40s, that's like pretty solid. That's a good, strong B plus. You're doing good. I'm not super worried about this problem. When we get into the 30s, I'm getting less excited about this. Now we get sort of a C minus for the 30s. When we get to the 20s, I am very, very unhappy with this situation. That is a solid D student. Not so good. When we are down in the teens, you are failing. That is a solid F. You got to retake the exam. Not good. And then if you're in like single digits, that qualifies as an epic fail, meaning like this is just not a situation compatible with life. Um, I have had COVID patients uh, who have had epic fail compliance for the record. So this is sort of how I think about static compliance when I get that number. All right. Now let's talk about airway resistance. 
So again, when we talk about resistance, we're talking about the straws. Are you dealing with a boba straw or a coffee straw? You know, we remember from last time, Vents 101, that the relationship between diameter or relative radius and speed of flow through that structure, it's not linear. It's not like, okay, as the radius goes down, the flow decreases linearly, it's exponential. And so that means that when you compare two structures, like our two straws, um, if you decrease the radius by even just a little bit, what you will see is your flow drops by a lot. A small change in radius gives you a big drop in flow. Technical terms, we are now going to refer to this as the airway resistance, the R airway. Now let's talk about how you're going to think about things, how you're going to read these things on a vent. Because to me, a ventilator can give you so much more information about your patient's lungs than a chest x-ray, often than a chest CT. You know, when I intubate patients, um, I usually, you know, they're paralyzed. I almost always give rock. And right after I'm done sort of getting them settled after the intubation, I go straight to the ventilator and I take advantage of them being paralyzed to get acquainted with their lungs. Um, because you can just find out so much about them by doing that. So we go up to our ventilator. Just to remind people, I mentally break down my ventilator into three separate sections. This is what you want to happen. This is what you are telling the ventilator to do. Unfortunately, on ventilators, as in real life, what you want to happen and what is actually happening are not always the same thing, unfortunately. But fortunately, on a ventilator, unlike in real life, you have waveforms to help you figure out why what you want to happen doesn't match what's actually happening. So let's now talk about how we can use the ventilator to get a better understanding of how resistance and compliance, static compliance and airway resistance play out in real time. So if we look at what's actually happening, one of the most important things on a volume control mode is your peak inspiratory pressure, right? So we have our peak inspiratory pressure, and that's one of the things I look at first. But as we talked about in the Vince 101 troubleshooting section, it's a little more complicated because just looking at that number does not give you all the information you need to understand what's actually happening. So remember from Vince 101 that your peak pressure measures the highest pressure at any point at this entire circuit from the ET tube all the way down to the alveoli. The PIP is telling you the highest pressure at any point in this circuit. When you do an inspiratory hold, you measure a plateau pressure. The plateau pressure is telling you the highest pressure the alveoli we're seeing. All right, we talked about this in the context of vent alarms, but now we're going to talk about this in the context of allowing you to understand their physiology. Here's the way I think about this. To me, the plateau pressure represents their static compliance. The plateau pressure is telling you, are you dealing with a beach ball or a basketball? The peak pressure represents their airway resistance. It is telling you, what kind of straw are we dealing with? Um, we'll look at the waveform a minute to talk about exactly what that means. But first, I have to do a quick caveat here. Um, the plateau pressure is a useful measure 
but it's not foolproof. Why? So the plateau pressure cannot tell the difference between the transpulmonary and transthoracic pressure. What does that mean? What that means is if you have a high plateau pressure, it is possible it's because you have basketball lungs. Your lungs are super non-compliant. That's the problem. However, it is also possible that you have very poor chest wall compliance, and that is what is causing the high plateau pressure. You see this in patients who are morbidly obese. Um, you can see this in patients who have, you know, circumferential burns. We had this problem the other day in a patient with horrible, horrible autoimmune disease and scleroderma. So there's reasons that you can see poor chest wall compliance. You'll sometimes see it in patients who have horrible scoliosis or they just have some kind of musculoskeletal or sort of bony disease of the chest. And also do not forget, it's not just the chest wall. You have that little diaphragm thing that's coming up from the abdomen. So the other time you will see this is if somebody has high pressures in the abdomen. I mean, that's essentially what's happening with abdominal compartment syndrome, right? You know, with abdominal compartment syndrome, you're like doing your thing, transfusing the patient, whatever, the lungs are going fine. Then all of a sudden, the vent starts alarming, your peak pressures go through the roof, your plateau pressures go through the roof. You get a chest x-ray because you're like, is this taco? Is this trolley? What's happening? But your chest x-ray is totally clear. What is happening is your abdominal pressures are super high and they are causing the transthoracic pressure to be really, really high. And you're going to see that reflected not only in the peak pressure, but also in the plateau pressure because the vent can't tell the difference. Really, the only way to tell the difference between those two things, between a plateau that's elevated due to transpulmonary versus transthoracic pressure, is to do an esophageal balloon because that allows you to take the transthoracic pressure out of the equation. We're mostly not going to do that. I've done it before in like studies. And the main thing it helped me figure out was that patients who are morbidly obese, often their transthoracic pressure is really, really high and their transpulmonary pressure is actually not that bad, which is why in certain situations with morbidly obese patients, I'll tolerate somewhat higher peak and plateau pressures because a lot of it may be the transthoracic pressure and I'm less worried about it. Okay. How does this play out on a vent? How do we sort of sort this out on a vent? All right. We take our ventilator. We look at our peak pressures. We note that it's elevated. So what are we all going to do now? Every time we're like, ah, peak pressure elevated, the first thing we're going to do is do an inspiratory hold because that's the only way we find a differential. When you do an inspiratory hold, you'll see something that looks like this, right? Now, once you do that, a little nice plateau pressure pops up and tells you what the plateau pressure is. So let's think about this waveform just a little bit. Let's take a closer look at what the different parts of this waveform represent physiologically and on the ventilator. So this is the PEEP, right? That's your constant positive end expiratory pressure, easy. This is the peak pressure, right? It's the highest pressure that you reach anywhere in the circuit. Now, this is your plateau pressure, right? Once you get to your peak pressure, but then you hold the inspiratory hold, now we are seeing what your alveoli are seeing. Now we're seeing the plateau pressure, right? Now, conveniently, 
When you do this, as long as your patient is not dysynchronous, sometimes even paralyzed, Vivint spits out another number for you. It doesn't just spit out the plateau pressure. It also spits out the static compliance. It gives you a metric. It gives you a, you know, useful quantitative number for what the compliance is. Because that metric, that static compliance is actually the slope of the pressure volume curve. The plateau pressure is just a pressure and all kinds of different things can affect it. It's not actually really literally representing their compliance. The static compliance that they're giving you is actually truly compliance. Because remember, we talked about Vents 101. Compliance is the slope of that pressure volume curve. It gives you that number. I find that number very helpful. I will often get that number immediately after I intubate them, figure out if they have like a B plus or a D minus, then I'll trend that number because that can be very useful. All right. So that's your plateau pressure. And the way that I think about this is that this sort of represents your static compliance. This is the part of the graph that not literally, but the way I kind of think about it is that is my static compliance. Okay. Now I sort of have my visual, my static compliance is represented there. So if that little segment is sort of my static compliance, this is my resistance. Because what you're asking when you're saying, all right, my peak pressure is high, my plateau pressure may not be high. What you are then saying is if you have a high peak pressure, but a normal plateau pressure, then there's a big difference between those two pressures. The difference between those two pressures represents approximately the resistance of the circuit. It's taking out the issue of compliance, just thinking about the issue of resistance. Now I go one step further and I'm like, okay, I have my peak pressure. I have my plateau pressure. I have a sense of how much of that peak pressure is due to compliance issues and how much is due to resistance issues by simply subtracting my plateau pressure from my peak pressure, right? So that kind of lets me be like, okay, where am I here? Do I have like a, I don't know, like a balloon or a beach ball style static compliance? Do I have a boba straw airway resistance? What am I doing here? It allows me to think that through. Now, the other reason I find this useful as sort of a not literal physiology technique, but visualization technique is that I do my inspiratory hold. I get my peak, I get my plateau, and I'm like, okay, there's a, you know, not that high, my plateau is this, and it allows me to be like, what kind of situation am I dealing with? Am I dealing with beach ball lungs and boba straw resistance? Fantastic. We're all happy with that. That's great. But there are other situations. Am I instead dealing with, I got great beach ball lungs, but I have my coffee straw airway resistance. Okay. That's what you're going to see asthma COPD, right? Beach ball lungs, airway resistance, not necessarily so good, or at least certainly in COPD. Or what about this situation? We could have basketball lungs and boba straw airway resistance. Um, that you often see in ARDS, for example. Um, interstitial lung disease. Is that my problem? Now, the worst problem that you can have is if you have coffee straw resistance and basketball lungs. You are now in trouble. Why? As we'll talk about, 
The problem with this is that the things that you do on the ventilator to optimize oxygenation, to target making those basketball lungs better, making them try and get them more close to beach ball lungs, are often the exact opposite of the things that you need to do if you have a coffee stir resistant situation. So functionally, clinically, in our sort of heuristic functional physiology, that's what I like to do. I get my peak, I get my plateau, I look at my compliance, and I sort of can be like, what combination? Do we have basketball, coffee straw? Do we have boba straw, beach ball? Do we have boba straw, basketball? It just helps me in a simplistic but very functional way think about what I'm dealing with and what to do about it. <laughs> 